Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? You know what almost makes me, um, like it almost makes me sad? Is that I don't think in any time ever... L. Ron Hubbard ever got to sit and just watch Dawson's Creek. No, he never did. <laughs> think, like, I wonder what it would be like for Katie Holmes to kiss me. You know what I mean? Like, he's never, like, listened to Paula Cole. No. It's like, I remember that summer. He's no James Vanderbeek, that's for sure. I love the Vanderbeek, yeah. by Wait, the so way. So you're just upset that he didn't, that L. Ron Hubbard never experienced 1997? I'm just saying he just <laughs> never had a One Tree Hill moment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That was a he great time. He kissed a girl outside of the spring dance. <laughs> it's a great time for television shows. It was all like scenic, uh, sort of suburban <laughs> things. One Tree Hill, Dawson's Creek. I run away. Oh, that's a good one. All right, we got L. Ron Hubbard part four, and then we're done with this guy. Get out, wait. Oh, my God. But it has been a fascinating journey. Oh, absolutely amazing. So when we last left Ron, he was mulling the possibility of escaping to sea. But before he <laughs> sailed away into the wild blue, Hubbard would release a policy letter that became the foundation of Scientology's most nefarious activities, keeping Scientology working. Now, the only other person I know that escaped to see was David Crosby. <laughs> Who has a worse body, Crosby or Hubbard? But he escaped to see in, like, a Margaritaville kind of <laughs> yes. style escape to see. Like, he went to just, like, listen to nothing about that, like, sailing is where I'm going. And they just, like, drank mm. rum straight and yeah. screamed at each other. They had a great time. They, they tried to die, but they didn't, so they had to come back to land. <laughs> Well, KSW-1, as it's called in Scientology speak, is a 10-point plan concerning the exact application and preservation of the standard tech in Dianetics and Scientology, tech being the goofy terms and methods Scientologists use in their day-to-day. And it normally happens in any nerd society. What we learned about Om Shinrikyo is that this is when Elrond decides to, like, Laffy wants to make it serious. And so when he's now, he's a, 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 a peaking on paranoia or what we at this moment think is peaking on paranoia because we're going to find out later on he goes far more insane. But he's like, we got to keep this ship together. They're attacking me from all sides uh, deep in, while they're working in their little compound in England. They are, at this point, it was just an innocent, like a bunch of nerds in jumpsuits, yelling 
yelling at ashtrays and having a nice time, like making families, just having to be peaceful, learning about themselves. But now he wants to make sure that everyone will stay loyal always. So he created KSW1, which is going to be the thing that makes Scientology one of the most dangerous cults in the world, no, mostly because of the fact that they are a legal religion now. Yeah. So that makes it even more dangerous. Well, now, at this time, they were under attack, though. Australia has banned them and things like yeah. that, right? Australia has banned them. England is on their way to banning them. And when we say Scientology is dangerous, we don't mean physically dangerous. They're not like Om Shinrikyo, physically dangerous. They are legally dangerous. They are mentally dangerous. These guys have the ability to destroy lives, and that's what they do. And that's the danger of Scientology. Yeah, they're not like I, I'm not worried. <laughs> no, I'm not worried. <laughs> In no way. <laughs> but they're not like Scarecrow, like supervillain from Batman, dangerous. You know, they're not trying to poison the entire city or no. anything. Well, KSW1 is the, what gets them close to that. Yeah. Now, when a person is introduced to KSW1, it essentially means that person is moving from the realm of curiosity into the actual world of Scientology. It's the beginning of the all-or-nothing phase of the religion, and the rules are vague enough to justify just about any action. Like the Constitution, in <laughs> yeah, a way. Basically. It seems you to be thrown out the window. It. Yeah. Are you but, a strict uh, KSW1-er? Mm-hmm. Are you? Are you keeping Scientology working? That's just KSW for you. And that's my problem with both of you, fucking uh, uh, MJP. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at you, BGK. All right, because I think you guys are suffering from severe com lag because you've not been flying <laughs> your roots hard enough. You're not clearing your roots. I've been clearing uh, my roots. I cleared my root this morning. Not completing your orc cycles. I'm just saying you're not. I I've know been... for a fact you're not flying your roots I've because been... I can see it in the way when you're, when you're suffering classic MUs. What? <laughs> You're oh, not finalizing your TRs. Because I finalized my TR, man. I promise I've you. Enough. I've been doing... But don't I've work been, hard enough. You don't want it enough. I've been drinking nothing but Yogi Get Regular Tea. I, my roots are clear. I'm all... <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I can just imagine your crudes. You're fucking horrible. I should call them crudes when they're on you. Flappy bottoms. Well, uh, but KSW is really very dangerous. Yeah. Let's go through the 10 tenets of KSW. One, having the correct technology. Which means spending money for the courses that you could get through Scientology. This now, is you're getting I... this. This is like your third level class. You've already been doing TRs. You've been sitting. You've been you've been yelling at stuff. You've been staring at each other. You've been doing bull baiting. But now it's like, okay. All right. So that's a taste. Okay. So that's a little bit of what you need to know in order to be super strong. Yeah. Mm. And by the way, this, uh, one of the things about Scientology, uh, that really works for them is repetition is they, every time you do a course, you have to essentially redo all the courses that came before, thereby maximizing the amount of time that you were doing Scientology and thereby maximizing how much money you spend on Scientology. So after you're introduced to KSW, every single time you get to a new level, you have to to redo KSW all over again. Yeah, you have to do the whole course, everything you've ever learned. And then when they do the fun shit later on, is that when they keep rewriting it, when they say, oh, we've learned new information, now you've got to go back and do it again. All right, number two, knowing the technology. That means passing all of your your sec checks. You got to go through uh, study tech properly. You have to clear all your words, no MUs. Three, <laughs> knowing it is correct. That means you get floating needle, you clear everything. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, that's how you know solidly. You have a solid clear 
salient gaze that cannot be broken no matter how many people call you a shill or yell about your your unitard. You cannot break even though you've spent a long time ironing your unitard and buckling the cuffs. They all seem like the same thing to me, just reworded. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> what are you shut talking up. about? It might be an Why SP. You I don't just. You're being a PTS, and I cannot be connected to you. <laughs> Four, teaching correctly the correct technology. That means becoming an expert auditor, and you've now passed the various, it's like the TR courses, then the HRC courses, and then the OT courses. Once you're in OT courses, that's when you're probably learning how to audit yourself, because now it's you yelling at yourself in a mirror, testing yourself on the E-meter until you get a floating needle. So now I'm the ashtray? <laughs> Five, applying the technology. That means going out, running the tone scale on strangers that you see in the street, being able to jump over trash cans without using your hands. Like extreme walking? <laughs> extreme walking. Six, seeing that the technology is correctly applied. And that's when that, shit starts getting sinister. Yes, because that's about ratting out your co-scientologists. That's if you see people connected to PTSs, potential trouble sources, which is normally means they had a cold, which means you know somebody bad. So you, oh, that's no. why you got a cold, because you allowed yourself to have a cold. Mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to rat people out if they're not doing the work right, because that's when everybody becomes an informant. So you snitch on people with sniffles? <laughs> You're a sniffle yeah. snitch? You're a sniffle snitch. <laughs> I don't know. What's wrong with having the sniffles? Seven, hammering out of existence incorrect technology. This is where it gets... A little like what? <laughs> this is what? where. Basically, you're you're the the concept here is anything that's not Scientology is can be completely and totally destroyed mm -hmm. at, at will. Anything and anybody that is Ooh. not involved in Scientology. Eight knocking out incorrect applications. That's squirreling. That's squirrel busting. Anybody who takes this, this stuff outside of Scientology, outside of the little rooms, and goes out it's like to, and, and, and tries to teach it on the street, which I understand. We all want to yell at ashtrays. Sure. I mean, I smoked for 13 years, and I was like, I'm mad at what it did to me. Look at Marcus. Oh. Look at his teeth. Uh, no, they look good. Well, now I understand the homeless in San Francisco, they weren't schizophrenic. They were Scientologists, <laughs> and they were just screaming at cars to move slower. Nine. Closing the door on any possibility of incorrect technology. Well, now we're getting repetitive. <laughs> now? <laughs> now we are. Well, then 10, closing the door on incorrect application. But that's the mm. thing here, is that these little subtle differences, they make them just different enough where Elrond can get super pissed off if you confuse any of these terms, but we'll get into that part of it later on. Yeah. I don't what is the technology they're talking about? Technology the te is the the words that they use, the e-meter, all of that type. It's all the techniques. They just oh, call nice. it the they call it the tech, the oh, technology. They call it tech because it makes it sound fancier. Yeah. Because oh, you're trying okay. to sell it to quote unquote very intelligent people. Which is what we talk about with Ohm Shinrikyo too, is that these are very smart people. These are people because you have to be very smart to believe 
that you could to get this far to to apply that much imagination and commitment you had to have already have been through or could go through medical school because essentially you're looking at a medical school textbook filled with nonsense mm. yeah you know what i'm over calling these people smart and with um shinrikyo they just fell in love with a guy who could levitate because of explosive diarrhea <laughs> i mean this, I, I think they're actually very maybe they're book smart but there has to be something dumb in their minds i to think, follow this stuff. i think they want to believe that there is some sort of answer out there that's what we talked about in the second episode yeah. is that they want there to be some sort of higher being but they've convinced themselves that for some reason christianity that's a bunch of bullshit that's a bunch that's of a, bullshit yeah. that's all stupid that's what stupid people do but scientology that yeah. is for intelligent people that is this, for people who have a, a good head on their shoulders i guess this so. man who looks like a human alligator with a silk shirt on that i can kind of see his nipples through he, needs, <laughs> he knows what's going on yeah uh, and so there are plenty of people that got to this point and then got rid of it because right. what was it? I think it was Penelope Cruz uh, got oh. to this point and when they say like that to get rid of all incorrect technology that also includes other religions so they tell you that if you practice Scientology you can only practice Scientology you cannot practice any other religion besides Scientology and Penelope Cruz is a committed Buddhist and she was like oh. yeah I can't be a Buddhist anymore well I then th fuck you Scientology I thought you were going to say Penelope Cruz loves Sublime and they won't let her listen <laughs> yeah. to it anymore because that's, and that's that is that is not fandom that is a religion if you want to get into sublime you got to join the church of sublime uh but this is also uh that's a very uh that's a big tenet of chaos magic well it's called deprogramming uh so he took that from left hand magic mm -hmm. the idea of you have to, but the problem with chaos magic, it's to free you. Scientology, it's to limit you. It's to mean that you can do only this. It's chaos magic. You want to get rid of all connections to any other religions because then you're free to do whatever it is you want with your mind and believe whatever it is that you want. With Scientology, it's just that that's all bullshit. This is the only thing that will save you. Give me your money. Mm -hmm. And this is, so this is what Elrond wrote about in the big document of KSW. We're not playing some minor game in Scientology. It isn't cute or something to do for lack of something better. The whole agonized future of this planet, every man, woman, and child on it, and your own destiny for the next endless trillions of years depend on what you do here and now and in Scientology. This is a deadly serious activity and if we miss getting out of the trap now we may never again have another chance remember this is our chance to do so in all the endless trillions of years of the past don't muff it now because it seems unpleasant or unsocial to do seven eight nine and ten do them and we'll win no sporting championships but maybe a pie eating contest <laughs> Elrond, I followed you there. Now, can you? Now, did you say don't muff it? Because I well, listen to this other paragraph I found in KSW. That's like so. This is a part of the idea of making Scientologists serious soldiers. The finest organizations in history have been tough, dedicated organizations. Not one namby-pamby bunch of pantywaist dilettantes have ever made anything. It's a tough universe. The social veneer makes it seem mild, but only the tigers survive. And even they had a hard time. 
We'll survive because we are tough and are dedicated. And when we do instruct somebody properly, he becomes more and more tiger. When we instruct half-mindedly and are afraid to offend, scared to enforce, we don't make students into good Scientologists, and that lets everybody down. When Mrs. Pattycake comes to us to be taught, turn that wandering doubt in her eye into a fixed, dedicated glare, and she'll win, and we'll all win. Humor her, and we all die a little. The proper instruction attitude is, you're here, so you're a Scientologist. Now we're going to make you into an expert auditor no matter what happens. We'd rather have you dead than incapable. So it's like a, am I a Namby Pamby? <laughs> I don't want to muff this. Who the hell, like, who's Mrs. Patty Cake? <laughs> Miss Patty Cake just wandering in there. You know, for, the character from um, Sushi Shortcake. Was it strawberry shortcake? Strawberry, strawberry shortcake. <laughs> not, what <laughs> knockoff strawberry shortcakes did you get? Susie shortcake. Susie, Susie, a little pie. <laughs> <laughs> so pancake shaped princess woman. Get her in there, having her screaming ashtrays until she's malnourished. Mm. That's you get, how you. You make. keep mentioning screaming ashtrays over and over. Like, explain to people what the screaming of ashtrays is. What's well, uh, a <laughs> goddamn? <laughs> you don't know. You fucking idiots. You guys don't understand. Screaming and ashtrays is about communication. It's a part of your TRs. The whole point in Scientology, what they say, is that you're supposed to be able to communicate through matter, no matter what obstacles. Anybody like who's coming at you, attacks you, a part of it, that's bull baiting, right? Bull baiting, getting insulted all the time so that you stop having reactions to people attacking you so that you're a, you have that dedicated glare that Laffy talks about all the time. Yelling at ashtrays is about commanding an ashtray. It's about intent. It's about using your intent to make somebody do anything. Because the idea is that when you hit tone 40, you could tell someone to jump off a bridge and they'll do it. But what it is is screaming in an ashtray in a folding right. chair. Yeah. But well, I think that's a good, it's a good thing to use with toilet seats. You don't have to touch them. You just <laughs> yes. get up. <laughs> Lift up. Get down, lid. Put the lid down. Thank you. Put the lid back up. Penis pee. Thank you. <laughs> Um, honey, you, you, penis. I need you to pee. Honey, honey, you pissed all over the toilet seat again. My penis wasn't listening. <laughs> I had a calm lag with my penis. Now, Marty Rathbun, the, the the piece of shit from my Scientology movie, he came out and so he said that people made fun of the ashtray drill, and this is what he says: This drill has been criticized and misunderstood as "quote unquote" yelling out an ashtray. In fact, the student does does speak toward an ashtray and then raise his voice at it, yes. But the purpose of the drill is to step outside of the physical universe mechanics of sound so as to distinguish and perceive intention as something separate from the intention's quote-unquote carrier wave, the voice. Having earlier experienced nonverbal transmission of intention while playing basketball, the concept was real to me. After several hours of communicating intention to a material object, I developed a keen perception of the intention I was able to project separate and Apart from the carrier wave, the sound waves issuing from my mouth. See? So you're yelling at the ashtray. <laughs> I, I just, I have to say it again. Carrier wave. Well, that's interesting. Marty is the guy who defected from that My Scientology movie mm -hmm. from, with the Englishman um, as the uh, as the host. But now, Henry, you don't like this guy. You think he's? Uh, I think that he's a part of the problem. He was a part of the uh, their police force. Yes, he, put he was. People in the hole. He punched yeah. people in the face. Yes, he's a villain. 
And then he only got out because uh, they turned against him. Once he was scare- mm. declared an SP by David Miscavige, that's when he decided to leave. Because up until then, he was big boss baby. He was. He was yeah. boss baby. Because <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know what Scientology will say for definite? Cookies are for closers. <laughs> uh, never quote any – Alec Baldwin is the – is he the biggest hack in Hollywood right I now? I believe so. I don't want to talk about it. So let's go back to 1967 when KSW was put into place with these – Policies firmly enforced in Scientology. Elrond set himself up as the only person in the world who can save you and yours, bought a few boats, dubbed himself the Commodore, and founded Sea Org. Now, what cults like to do, what we've talked about many times, is that they isolate you. They keep you away from your family. And so think about this. All of this horse shit that we've just talked about in terms of the, the KSW and yelling at ashtrays, what a better way to make a bunch of people believe in that by keeping them captive on a boat right. that they can't get off of. Yeah, with their passports locked in a safe. Yep, yep. I mean, it's like when you're on a cruise line and you have to uh, laugh at the comedian. But you know he sucks. <laughs> but you're just like, we're here. Because you're all trapped in there. A cruise is just a floating overlook hotel. It's just you're a- all trapped in there and you've always been there. <laughs> a floating toilet is all they are. Sea <laughs> Org was and still is the elite of Scientology. It's where you go to learn all the highest levels. And during the late 60s and early 70s, it was the only place you could go to learn directly from L. Ron Hubbard. Get the fresh gnocchis from Mario Patali himself. <laughs> uh, 1966, Hubbard quote-unquote resigned as president of the Church of Scientology as the organization was by then, in his words, established enough to be run without him at the helm. And sailing on the flagship Apollo, formerly the Royal Scotsman, Hubbard <laughs> would do quote-unquote research and teach intensive courses, among other activities, Here's an example of one of those courses actually recorded on the flagship Apollo. All right, now if the PC at that moment were, gave an aspect of relief and looked well, he would say, that's good. You understand he has to be an OT3 or this sort of thing wouldn't be happening to him. You don't run this on people below that level, you kill them. So he says, yes, oh, that's great. Oh my God, what really? Good. And you say, all right, good, that's fine. Thank you very much. And let him take it up himself. Now, he's going to go on the basis that they all blew, and I got news for you on a cluster. They don't always all blow. There are 15 of them left. It looked so spectacular to see such a mass and disintegrate and so many of them leave. But there might be some still around. Now you have to finish running the engram out to that degree and run incident one on each separate one of them. And they go, blood, thump, gone, 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 gone. That cleans it up. Because the funny part of it is, is let us say, he had a terrible throat. Oh, oh, couldn't talk, see? And then you found this instance, you dated the thing, you got some substance of what it was all about, and all of a sudden you got this, oh, gone, you know? <laughs> Still going to be left Hours with a bit of a good. You're going to say, well, that's natural. No, it isn't natural. That's the 10 or 15 you left. <laughs> <laughs> that's the engram. The engram is still remaining with those two. Do you follow? He sounds like a Dick Tracy villain 
whose only uh, weapon is just like burping buttons off his shirt, <laughs> and then he just pegs people in the eye with them. I mean, that, yeah, what is, is he clearing yeah, his... Yeah, gumshoe. Yeah, gumshoe. Think you can beat me? I turn my clothes into weapons. <laughs> blink, 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 blink. What is that sound? <laughs> that he's, is that him just clearing his throat? That is or... him being an engaging public speaker. <laughs> oh, he's engaging. He sounds like um, human phlegm. Uh, Shane Morton actually blew my mind because I was like talking about reading these documents and listening to his speeches all the time. Shane Morton said, is the uh, makeup artist on Pretty Face, right? Yes, and he was the first person who ever gave me the biggest secret, right? Like he taught, he turned me on to David Icke back in the day, like maybe like six years ago now. And so he was like, we, I was talking about, I'm getting to reading all these Scientology documents and listening to him speak. And he's like, well, you have to never get into the rhythm of the way these guys talk. I was like, well, what are you talking about? It's like all holy books, sci- Dianetics and Scientology books included, are written like echolalia. They're written like you're speaking in tongues and it's a hypnotic rhythm. Like you're like stuck in this thing with him like when you listen to him talk nonsense and all of a sudden you're you get you catch the rhythm like gloria stefan and now yeah. you're thinking like him and you're, you're right. all sounded like batshit crazy people talking about fucking engrams and, and running clear and being and, and flying your roots yeah well that's what i i listened to lauren hill and by the end of it i said we gotta kill white people <laughs> and, and then i'm like oh my goodness you know i am one you know and then it, you gotta you gotta catch yourself there i do love lauren hill though she might not like us but i like her my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product right now. Aura has a great deal for mother's day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best selling frame. That's a U R a frames.com. Use code left at checkout to save Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, 
I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my Killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Now, concerning L. Ron Hubbard's research, Sea Org was also the birthplace of Scientology's infamous creation myth revealed at OT3. We all know this, but in case you don't, the extremely abridged version of the Scientology creation myth is that Xenu sent citizens from the Galactic Federation to Earth, then known as TGAC, to be dumped into volcanoes because of overcrowding, and the souls of those people still roam the Earth, and that's what body things are. But in order to really sell OT3, Hubbard took a page from his old Navy malingering days and faked injury once more. He told people that in doing the research necessary to break through the wall of fire, as he called it, he had broken his back, his knee, and an arm. Such was the importance of OT3. And he would just come out of his captain's room limping. Like, literally be like, ah, broke my back last night fighting through the wall of fire. Yeah. Like, like, it's all, and they're all like, oh. Meanwhile, covered in filth. Because it also, the Apollo used to be a gigantic fertilizer cargo uh, ship. It was a cattle so, cargo ship. Oh, an, an that, Irish, that smell an, lingers. An Irish cattle cargo ship. Woo! They had to, so you're talking about how many, you know your shits? How would they smell like after like two nights of drinking Guinness and not eating? <laughs> These fucking cows. That shit so dark and thick. And they would, as punishment, well, technically first it was punishment, then it turned into how dedicated are you? The first members of Sea Org, their first jobs were to get all of the shit out of the ship and, and clean the whole thing. See, that's and that was a part of their servitude. I'm out of there. I'm out of there. <laughs> Immediately out of there. Sea Org You're sounds kind of fun. Good. You're just a you're, you're not a good first mate. I'm a horrible a first mate. I'm also too big for a ship. <laughs> now, while Hubbard was saying he was traveling the sea to give these courses and do research, in reality, he was being run out of every country he had tried to set up shop in and figured doing everything from the sea would allow him to continue undisturbed. He would, in fact, stay firmly in control of Scientology from the Apollo through a series of networks and coded messages to Scientology bases the world over. Now, the first volunteers for Sea Org came from St. Hill in England. All were required to sign a billion-year contract, meaning that the person would serve Scientology even in the next life and the life after that, and so on and so forth, for the next billion years. Hmm. And, but some people who came to Sea uh, Org, a lot of them came there because they were very excited. To They said that they felt like the elite, they felt like the Marines uh, going yeah. to war, but some people were actually sent to Sea Org as punishment. Hey, Marcus. You know, a billionaire contract? Uh-huh. Yeah, I signed one of those with my cable company. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, my God. Anyway, I'll be working this cruise ship all weekend long. <laughs> Technically, you are my prisoners, and you will have to laugh at 45 minutes of cable company bits. Mary, Mary, we spent $2,000 to be on this Royal Caribbean cruise. When does laughing turn into screaming? <laughs> Half the shrimp. Have you tried the shrimp? <laughs> There's a pool on the ship in the ocean. I'm losing my mind. I feel like I'm in the movie Inception. <laughs> uh, billionaire contract. Yeah, sign one of those with my cable company. <laughs> wow. Um, also, I was going to say billionaire contract is what the cast from Big Bang Theory was forced to sign this year, so... <laughs> well... All right, is there another comedian aboard? <laughs> do, do I have to kill the other comedian? I'm just a janitor, <laughs> hoping to make someone laugh and not always just accuse me of sexual assault on their family. Oh, bad janitor. Sea Org actually started off as what sounded like a bit of a lark. Oh. In addition to the courses, Elrond was also sailing under the flag of the Explorers Club once more, claiming he was undertaking the Hubbard Geological Survey Expedition. Well, again, in a way of flipping it, he told everybody in England... We're going to go and take over the world via boats. You guys can hang out like, like, and not say, hey, I'm under criminal investigation. Also, they're looking into my taxes. Also, they're, uh, my family's falling apart. Also, I have an intense amphetamine addiction. I'm taking to, I'm leaving. I'm running away. How are they going to take over the world with a poo-poo ship? <laughs> There's not even any weapons. Doesn't make any sense. How did two planes nearly destroy the United States of America? They ran into a building. You can't even <laughs> yeah. do that on a ship. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what the Hubbard Geological Survey expedition actually meant was that Elrond and Sea Org were to sail from port to port looking for gold that Elrond had hidden around the world in his past lives, for it was only now in this life that he finally had the resources to go and get it all. He's like a grandmother who hides all of her money around the house and then has Alzheimer's, and then you have to go find it as a child uh, so you can afford the home you have to put her in. I love the no memory bank. Oh, it's fun. It's so much fun. You don't know. Those like kids, uh, it's like when I lived with Eddie when he was dealing weed, and he'd hide money all throughout the house, and he'd just like open up a random book and be like, oh, look at this is money. I've got to start reading more because I hide all this money in the books. So, in other words, these people were finally joining the great adventurer on one of his journeys, and many, many were willing to pay any price or endure any punishment in order to come along for the ride. Now, Hubbard would draw fun little maps for Sea Org members, Doc, and tell them to go get it. But, of course, no treasure was ever found for one reason or another, mostly because a lot of the places he was sending them were well-explored ruins that were clearly marked in guidebooks of the areas. Now, 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 here, look here. You're going to go out here on a pontoon boat. I know for a fact I have gold. It's oh, You're going to see. Now, this is going to sound comical. It is a rock that looks like a butt. <laughs> and I, you're laughing. Everyone is laughing. But this is deadly serious. It looks like a butt, and it's got a lot of times it's covered in birds, and it and it's fun to see because it's just it's a big oh it's a big butt. Again, you're laughing at me. You're gonna find this butt rock, and then and again you're going to laugh at this. There's a hole in the center of the butt rock, yeah. and what I'm gonna need you to do is pull all the mounds and mounds of dirt out of that. There's mounds and mounds of it, and there's gold somewhere in there. You're going to have to stick your head in it. Well, yes. you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Elron. I actually saw a Rick Steves episode. Uh, he travels all around the world. you know Rick Steves? Nope. One of the most successful travelers of all time. He actually found the butt rock. So I feel like it's a, fam I it's a famous thing. 
Yeah, yeah, he found he found it. The butt rock, yeah, with the whole he even made a jokes about it. No PC should ever find a butt rock without my permission. He'll go legally insane. <laughs> now, Elrod would also gather all the Scientologists around at night and tell them stories about his past lives, usually involving him doing something super awesome. He once told them a story about how he was a race car driver in the Markab civilization millions of years ago in a time much like 1950s America, except... They had space travel. Hubbard. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. The, they said that he said everything was exactly like it was in the Mar in the nineteen fifties America in the Markab civilization. Everyone wore fedoras, everyone drove cars with big fins. Only difference, space travel. Ah, I see. Now Hubbard said he was a race car driver called the Green Dragon, who set a speed record before being killed in an accident. Then he came back as the Red Devil and beat the record again. Before being killed in an accident. Yeah, but if you Whoa. if you beat the uh, speed record, but you die at the end of it, I don't think that counts. No, he died. He does. He oh, died afterwards, in, he died in an unrelated accident. Oh, okay, after okay. Yeah. The speed record. Then it's, a, it's about being a daredevil. You always die of an accident if you're living as a daredevil. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So. Then he came back as the blue streak and beat the record again before being killed in an unrelated accident. So. He's just naming <laughs> his own dookies or something. What is happening here? He then realized in his next life that he was just breaking his own records over and over again, and so he decided to not be a race car driver any longer. And the thing about breaking your own record is, yeah, you're a winner, but you're also a loser. Yeah. So that sucks. Yeah, I know. He's That's kinda, why I stopped. He's kind of like America. He's so sick of winning. <laughs> that heard, he got bored with winning. <laughs> no, I've heard that. We were winning a lot now. But the good times were only a small fraction of what happened in Sea Org, partly because Hubbard was an unpredictable monster and partly because nobody knew what the fuck they were doing out there. They had no clue how to sail a boat. No. Right. And so what he would do is he would bring everybody together and say, like, you're all here on this boat for a reason. You are somewhere in your past lives. You knew how to run things on a boat. And now what we're going to do now is run our lives. We're going to run our past lives back so we can find the exact past life that knew how to run the boat. And we're going to ask that past life how to run the boat. <laughs> yeah. He just walk up to a random person and say, you're the captain now. And the person uh, that was the captain, she's like, oh, but I don't know. I'm not a captain. I'm a fucking kindergarten teacher. And what he would do is he would take them down to the uh, to uh, some secluded room, shove an e-meter in their face, give them the cans, and do, do auditing on her until she finally found a spot in her mind mm -hmm. somewhere that had some sort of sailing knowledge. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember I was a captain once. He's like, okay, good. Now you're the captain. Well, you know what? Now I, you're the captain. I like that, actually. <laughs> Just throw them out there. Make them. They'll learn. They yeah. have to learn. Yeah. That is good delegation. And honestly, if he had ran the borders that I was working at in Tallahassee, he could have turned that ship around. You know what I mean? <laughs> but also, uh, he remember, this is all based on the lies that he ran a ship in the Navy. Like, he was in charge of a submarine for maybe, what, was like six weeks? Well, it, was a, it wasn't a submarine. It, it was a sub-hunter. He just... And he also did set sail, kind of, when he was uh, in college. I mean, he tried to make it to Cuba. He just made it to Florida. But he did have some sailing knowledge. He's now running a, yeah. a, a massive a, tanker. A 3,000-ton ship. Yes. It's <laughs> different than a pontoon boat with 20 college kids on it. He had a captain that knew what he was doing. So he's just saying shit. And again, like, this is also very culty, like, specifically, where he's telling people to do things impossibly just to see... 
their dedication to him. Mm -hmm. So mostly just like if you're just not willing to go all the way, I'd rather, again, I'd rather have you dead than incapable. And because these people were so inexperienced, there were almost constant accidents. And every time there was an accident, Mm. Hubbard lost his fucking mind. After one incident in which the Apollo was almost swept into the rocks, Hubbard placed the entire ship under a condition of liability. Now, if you remember from our last episode, a condition of liability came with the tying of a dirty gray rag around a person's arm. In this case, Hubbard had the crew tie a dirty gray tarp around the ship's smokestack because everybody was in trouble. So dumb. You couldn't bathe. So you had to wear your own clothes and not bathe and not clean itself and then you wear the dirty rag and then when they put the rag on the ship, he didn't allow anyone to clean the ship, which also include emptying the tank, like the the shit tanks, and like putting up new, like so the whole thing became this like covered in flies, defl- like oh. like it used to be. It yeah. became a cattle fucking ship again. Yeah, oh. it sounds like a ship going into Ellis Island or something. <laughs> but why is? I mean, if I'm the ship, I'd be like, why are you punishing me? <laughs> you know? Oh, oh they did. You know how? Want to know how far they took it? They even tied a dirty gray rag around Mary Sue's corgi's collar. Oh, leave the corgi alone! I didn't know. There was a corgi aboard. Too. That kind of changes everything. The fact there's one corgi aboard. No, but that corgi did nothing wrong. Oh my god. Oh, that's fun. No. <laughs> you just imagine one little corgi, and then they wrap the thing, and you're like, I didn't do nothing. I'm a corgi. I'm a corgi. He just takes his paws and puts his paws on the e meter, being like, You're captain of the ship now. Okay. No, corgi the captain of the Sea Org ship. I don't know if I've ever seen you so tickled, man. <laughs> well, it's just so cute. I didn't know there's a corgi aboard this whole time. You know, you tell me that. He's got the little feet, you know. they got the long bodies and the, and the nose there. Cute dogs, yeah. So when accidents kept happening, Hubbard started introducing new punishments. For example, an offender could be locked up in a dark locker for who knows how long. Their only food served in a bucket or they could be assigned to chip paint in the bilge tanks for 24 to 48 hours without a break, depending on the severity of the condition. Horrible. They also got in the habit of just throwing people overboard when (laughs) they pissed them off, which became a daily ritual on the Apollo. It tickles me so much. It's like the saddest thing. I know it's bad. But I know that I would have laughed if I saw people just getting thrown overboard and be like, yeah. oh, my God. What was it? Was Pirates it a- of Caribbean. Yeah, did they plank it? Did they make them do the whole walk the plank type they thing? They just tossed them. Now, they died then. No, no, they did not die. Nobody died. No, no, no. Really? But, uh, yeah, because they always they walked up. They uh, they called it the gangplank or something like that. They always came back. No one died, as far as we know. Uh, so what they would do is that the names of the people to be thrown overboard were posted on the orders of the day, and at six o'clock. The master at arms would gather everyone on deck. Then, presided by Hubbard, Mary Sue, and their kids, someone, sometimes Hubbard's teenage daughter Diana, would read off a list of crimes and chant, We cast your sins and errors to the waves and hope you will arise a better Thetan. Then, the person would be tossed out to sea. I just can't stop thinking about the corgi looking at the list. We're like, I'm not can't swim. Sorry, corgi, you gotta go. 
The, corg- the corgi's name was Vixie. Oh, Vixie the corgi. What a good dog. Well, I, of course, you know, it wasn't just young, strong people on this ship. There were people that should not have been tossed overboard. There was this yeah. one sickly woman, uh, almost 60 years old, named Tulia Salmon. She was thrown into the ocean, <laughs> sobbing and screaming because she knew she probably wouldn't make it out alive. She did. That's good. But Hubbard was later heard by a Sea Org member making jokes about it for you weeks. See, you see how she splashed? I just, you figured that with her last name being Salmon, she would have took to the water much easier. You well, know it's, what a, it's a freshwater fish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Freshwater fish, it just didn't properly fly its roots. It's got to fly its roots, and then a freshwater fish can be a total. Oh, I see. But I know that for a fact. I used to be a saltwater man. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. <laughs> but Hubbard wasn't just throwing people overboard because they were fucking up in their sailor duties. He would also do it if people failed at KSW, namely doing the tech wrong. Here's an example of how angry Hubbard could get about fucking up. There are a number of laws and actions which go along with assessment. There's an entirely different subject, just as different as pulling up the anchor and splicing lines. A different, different subject, different, different, completely, 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 utterly, utterly, utterly. They are even years apart in development, called listing and nulling, listing and nulling. This is something listed by the PC. Listed, listed by the PC. PC says it. It is from a question. The auditor asks the question. The PC then gives him items which the auditor then writes down from the PC. This is called listing and nulling. Listing, listing and nulling. Nulling, nulling, listing. Not assessment, not assessment. There's something about the way that that's recorded where I feel like we have to go fight the Japanese now. <laughs> like every time I hear that, I'm just like, when are we going to drop the bombs, Mr. Truman? <laughs> Yeah, that's what he would do. Like, that entire clip is about, like, seven minutes long, and what he's talking about is he's talking about the difference between assessment and auditing. Assessment is looking at someone and trying to figure out, using the tone scale, where they are on the tone scale so you can audit them. So Mm -hmm. he would have these little differences between uh, levels, and anytime someone would get it wrong, he would absolutely lose his mind. Uh, because well, it's this is an, it's all about control. Right. It's all about, you, uh, you. I will tell you exactly how to do things, the exact way you're doing things right and wrong. It's kind of, again, reminds me of David Berg. There's a lot of David Berg in him and the idea of that. Like, he obviously, get, that's where he gets his sexual thrills, where he likes the, the little minutia. Because then he, once you create a world of these tiny little rules and you have a bunch of dedicated, now essentially slaves yeah. on the ship right. that w- w- react to your every whim, like, you can just pull that line and make the puppet dance anytime you want and that's got to be very thrilling i don't think about it <laughs> no no don't do it. but the children of god cult obviously david berg uh, that was they there wasn't the, the rampant sexual abuse in scientology here on this ship I mean, there's there, very little sex in scientology yeah, so it's not very i actually little. think it's not as bad as children of god in a lot of ways because no, that, that oh, cult was disgusting no 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 scientology uh sex doesn't really come into it 
It's uh, interesting. It's very strange. No. Yeah. Uh, no, it's all about money. Yeah. It's money. Exactly. Everything is about money. Everything, it all came from L. Ron Hubbard's obsession with money. money I'm just saying, power. guys, we've been doing this podcast for many years. It's just refreshing. It's refreshing to have <laughs> a cult that where, where sexual not- abuse isn't rampant. And as a further method of control, Hubbard developed an oversensitive sense of smell flying off the handle if a scent wasn't to his liking. He even employed a woman with a sensitive nose as his... Snipper dog. There's a corgi. <laughs> use the corgi. corgi. Use to train the corgi. <laughs> he'd use her to root out the offending orders. So he'd walk into a room, say, I smell mildew, and then he would make this woman come in and sniff around the room until finally they found a little bit of mildew that could be removed, and finally Hubbard could use the room. But, of course, it yeah. was all bullshit because years later, uh, he would end up going to Salvation Army stores uh, to get disguises, and it never bothered him one bit that he was wearing all these musty second hand shirts and jackets it's like a horror movie villain this when you when you hear the sniff <laughs> you know she's close well i, I mean, can smell the future well with l ron hubbard there it really was kind of a horror movie for these people because they would see these little ticks because you never knew when he was not going to get when he was going to fly off the handle and when he was going to let something slide uh and they would see these like small little ticks where they all knew like oh fuck it's coming Saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Now, compared to the punishments that cults like Om Shinrikyo would inflict on people who screwed up, namely straight-up murder, right. all this actually seems pretty tame. You know, throwing people overboard, ah, all right. Kind of fun. Yeah, making people chip paint, yeah, it really sucks. Uh, but that is why Scientology is still going to this day. Scientology never went too far with their own members. There are no yeah. bodies on Scientology's rap sheet. And unlike Um Rico, they never gave an end date, right? No. Like, oh no. no. Yeah. So it was In like, fact, it was in fact that was the exact opposite. Right. It was eternity. Yeah. That's why they signed yes. a billion year contract. It never oh, yes. Yeah, the whole point of Scientology is that it never ends. It's yeah. the exact but opposite as, as all these m- other cults. 
it's got a mini deadline built in because the idea is that you're supposed to reach the top of the bridge, right? You're supposed to get to OT8 yeah. at some point, but then you just keep making the bridge longer and then you, or you rebuild the bridge. You just go and be like, well, now we we're, we figured out shit, so we're going to do it again. So that's how you keep somebody forever and also give them the carrot to chase after. Mm. I honestly, though, this may be a controversial opinion. Uh-oh. But I feel that Laffy, the reason why he didn't kill anybody was not because he didn't want to, is that he was a pussy. I honestly think that there was a difference is Shoko Asahara from Onshinrikyo was a fucking gangster. You know what I mean? Like, he was a cult leader, but he was also a fucking hardcore gangster that was about, like, we're doing this the hard way. We're bringing about the end of the world, so that's what we're going to do. Where L. Ron Hubbard, all he wanted was money. It was kind of like Charles Manson. Honestly, I feel uh, another similarity to him where I don't think if the if the other people had not gotten so dark, he never would have killed. He would have just let them out in the desert and everyone would have just kept fucking. That's all yeah. he wanted to do. Where L. Ron Hubbard just wants your money. It would have been a great sitcom, Manson and Hubbard. <laughs> They're well, living together, but they thing, don't get along all the time. Funny thing was is that Manson was a Scientologist for a short period of time. Was he? Of course yeah. he was. If, honestly, <laughs> if it was too crazy for Charles Manson, that just tells you do not get involved with yeah. Scientology. No, Charles Manson was just broke. <laughs> oh, he couldn't afford the books. <laughs> and also, uh, when uh, the Manson uh, murders happened, I think uh, they were. I think the Scientologists were docked in Spain when the Manson murders happened, and some Spanish newspapers started blaming the Scientologists for the Manson murders. They started hmm. spreading the rumor that the Scientologists were somehow involved in the Charles Manson murders. No, it was the Doom Buggy cult led by Charles Manson. <laughs> but. Even though there are no murders on Scientology's rap sheet, that's not to say there is no blood on their hands. In 1971, a 23-year-old named Susan Meester joined the crew of the Apollo, having been introduced to Scientology by friends in San Francisco. She wrote letters to her family telling them they should, quote, get into Scientology. One letter she wrote said... I just had an auditing session. I feel great, great, great. My life is expanding, expanding, and it's all Scientology. Hurry up. Hurry, hurry. Be a friend to yourselves. Get into this stuff now. It's more precious than gold. So you're saying um, you, you feel great, great, huh? <laughs> Double yeah, great? Yeah, I, every time I've heard someone say that they feel great, 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 they normally really do feel great, great, great. Oh, yeah. You know why? Because they're on methamphetamine. <laughs> methamphetamine. Not wearing shoes and they have underwear on their head. But, but they feel great, great, great. Great, great, great. <laughs> But when her will not detain me, <laughs> will not arrest me. That's one of the best videos ever. But when her next letter came, the tone had changed. It said, I can't tell you exactly where we are. We have enemies who do not wish to see us succeed in restoring freedom and self-determination to this planet's people. If these people were to find out where we were located, they would attempt to destroy us. Uh, that's so a far, far distance from being great, great. That's for sure. Couple of months. Yeah, it seems like you're paranoid, paranoid, paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> Which you can't say in a letter. No. I feel paranoid, paranoid, paranoid because everybody's trying to get me. The yeah. triple P. And these are only a few months apart. Right. I mean, it, it switches fast. Because she must have been a fun date. <laughs> I don't know. Because Hubbard was telling his crew members that they were being attacked by something called the Tenyaka Memorial, which was an underground Nazi movement intent on world domination working in conjunction with the World Federation of Mental Health. Now, to be yeah, fair, if that's true, that is scary. That would be <laughs> that scary. That would be very if it, scary. If it was true. But you imagine if you believe that to be true, 
I, w- I would write a, a, a sort of nerve-wracked letter. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was very motivated. Yeah, not just that. He was also telling them that if the authorities were to capture him, then he would be unable to continue his work, Scientology would not spread the world over, and there would be social and economic chaos, Ooh. if not outright nuclear war. So it was that these people thought that if they fucked up, they would possibly be personally responsible for the end of the world, which is a fair amount of pressure to put on a person. Yeah. And so... 10 days after Susan Meester sent the paranoid, paranoid, paranoid letter, she put a pistol to her head and pulled the trigger in her Sea Org cabin. And Scientology responded by spreading rumors that she was a former drug addict who had attempted suicide previously and that compromising photos of her had been found, none of which were true. Hmm. And what I found is really sad is that they put the corgi to work to cleaning up the blood. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And it's got that little thing around its neck, the the dirty rag. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, also, this is a part of the introspection rundown, which you're going to find out is a, a, another very uh, insidious practice of Scientology, which is they take people that are actually mentally ill. Yeah. And they uh, there's a couple of suicides that we'll see past L. Ron Hubbard, like normally in the in the later years of Scientology, where there are people that have lost their minds because of the introspection rundown, which is basically they put you isolated in a room while you're essentially having either some sort of like borderline or uh, bipolar breakdown. And they're thinking they can Scientology their way, your, your way out of it. But you can't because it's a fucking no. illness. Yeah. Well, it does seem like a cult that has a philosophy that is kind of conducive to suicide because there is a, an afterlife. Again, that billionaire contract. Yeah, I signed one of those <laughs> with my cable company. Um, so it does seem like um, it wouldn't – like, you know, some cults are like there is nothing else or whatever it might be. But, but with yeah. this one, there is if you commit suicide, then you're going to come back. You're going to come back yes. and come back and come. Yeah, you're going to come back so you can try all over again. Right. Yeah. And like, if I would have tried using Scientology or some introspective bullshit like this with my paranoid brand of uh, bipolar disorder, yeah, I would have lost my fucking mind. I was, I'm not going to be able to talk my way out of thinking that the people on the subway can read my thoughts because a metal tube conducts telepathy better. Well, people on the subway can't read anything. <laughs> Honestly... <laughs> Uh, MJP, you're pretty close to the truth on that. So I'm not, I don't want to feed the paranoia, but they can read your thoughts, and well, they don't read. They his, are coming for you. Well, they, they have good, everything on you. They don't well, read I walk th- to work now, so that's good. He screams <laughs> his thoughts. They don't read his thoughts. He screams them. Yeah, I'm hungry. I think I'm he's going to get coffee later with my girlfriend. Are you going to get coffee later with your girlfriend? Yes. With you reading my goddamn mind? <laughs> I mean, you're screaming at me. Oh, <laughs> I'm laughing to cover the fact that I shouldn't be laughing. Did I say that? <laughs> so this woman, yeah, she killed herself. A lot of other people killed themselves because death was preferable to being kicked out of Scientology in this life. Well, and that goes with the uh, what the negative, th- with the thetons, all that stuff, right? Yeah. What is it, negative? Well, that, it's, it's better to be dead than be a negative or something? Uh, the, rather have you scale. dead than incapable. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But they, uh, what you're talking about, but the paranoia is real here, right? He's been feeding this because they've been getting kicked out of country after country. They got kicked out of Rhodesia. They got kicked out of Australia. They got kicked out of Greece. They're literally pinging in a triangle formation between various uh, islands in the middle of the Atlantic. They have nowhere to go. He's telling everybody that he can't, that, that no one will have them and everybody's persecuting them. But what he's really trying to do, and he started it in Rhodesia, and then he tried to do it in Australia and then Greece, is that 
Sci- L. Ron Hubbard was obsessed with the idea of a Scientology country. He wanted to get an entire country to be all Scientologists in which he was king. And so he would go to various countries and do these pitches being like, we'll be your national religion. We'll come in. We'll fix everybody. Yeah. We'll train your soldiers. We'll train your bureaucrats. We'll train your fucking chefs. We'll, sh- we'll train everybody. We'll make them better. You just got to give me a cabinet position. And then I'll and then Elrond was like, I'll slowly work my way up to president and then take over the whole thing. And for some reason, these hmm. countries were like not into it. I can't believe that. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. yeah, England hated Elrond Hubbard so much that during a dangerous storm, the Apollo was turned away at port. These the Scientologists were calling him like, We have our families and children aboard. We need to dock. And England was like, Nah. Nah. Nah, we'd rather you die. Well, just Sorry. Get- <laughs> Sorry about that. While setting out drinking our tea, I'm letting my Adam's apple cut this cheese here for my lovely bride, who happens to be my cousin. <laughs> yeah, England had declared Hubbard an undesirable alien and said that he could never step foot in their country ever again. Oh. So these people are being turned away at port. Hubbard is being kicked out of countries. But to the people on Sea Org, this only fueled their loyalty this only endeared them closer to him and there was nobody on board the apollo more loyal to l ron hubbard than the messengers Ooh, these poor girls i guess not poor girls because they did great these girls lived a great life on Sea Org. Actually, the messengers came out on top of Scientology better than anybody else. All right. So in 1968, Hubbard formed the Commodore's Messenger Organization, which started off as a group of girls from the ages of 11 to 13 who were in charge of delivering verbal commands to staff and students aboard the Apollo. The, the first four messages were, I think, two of them were 11, one was 12, and one was 13. And then later on, it went up into, you know, 15, 16-year-olds. These girls were soon trained to deliver messages in Hubbard's exact words and tone of voice, and it wasn't long before these pubescent girls were acting with the authority of the leader of one of the world's most powerful cults. That's kind of fun if you're an 11-year-old girl. It's very fun yeah, if yeah, you're, you're an 11-year-old girl. Screaming a bunch of dudes. It's Babysitter's Club. If yeah. they were dictators. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fun. <laughs> they also served as Hubbard's personal assistants, working in six-hour shifts around the clock, awaiting his every order, dressing him, even following him around the ship mm-hmm. with an ashtray to catch his cigarette ash because Elron Hubbard was like a two-pack-a-day chain smoker. I don't know about the whole dressing him part. That's my least favorite part of the day. He yeah. didn't. I don't think he even popped a bone, though, because this wasn't about sex. No, I no. know. Yeah. I just don't want to dress Elron Hubbard ever. <laughs> They washed and combed his hair. They massaged his back. They smeared cream that he thought made him look more youthful on his face. And they did all this dressed in halter tops and hot pants. Oh, so my maybe there's something a little sexual in it. But I don't a know what bit. I don't know what layer. Yeah, it I mean, just- these girls, all, even the ones that defected and said, you know, and came out and said, like, this guy is is terrible. He's a tyrant. He's a monster. They all said no sexual impropriety whatsoever. Good but to hear. they also said that L. Ron Hubbard never really fucked his wife either because L. Ron Hubbard was probably impotent. Ooh. Completely impotent. Yeah. Also, when you're on that minute, when you're on that much speed, he's just, he's on speed, he's constantly, he's covered in creams. Like, he can't <laughs> have sex. He's not interested in having sex. He sees himself in a mirror. But I honestly, every morning, 
you comb this weird man who looks like one of the uh, the Goombas from the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> oh, yes. Your carrot has got that sideways teeth. You cover him in cream that he says makes himself look beautiful. Yeah. And he obviously looks like a very scary, soft-bodied clown. Yeah, no, and, and he's was- in front of kind of girls dressed in halter tops, and he's like, do I look beautiful? Yeah. Like, he's just like, Well, ah. you definitely, uh, you look a little wet. <laughs> So that, Thank you. that okay, that's a compliment. I'm, I used to be a saltwater man. Now I'm a freshwater man. So uh, I have to say, wet as the Dickens. That's uh, a term I've just. Dickens are always wet. Well, I'm just, I'm happy we didn't muff it up. <laughs> now, scientists did try to do a little half-hearted flirty fishing at some of the protocols where they docked, but the men of Corfu described Scientologist women as, quote, cock teases who told them they could only sleep with Scientologists they were married to. Oh, my. That was the whole thing, is that you could, uh, there was no premarital sex, and it wasn't like uh, Children of God, where it started off as no premarital sex, and then it just kind of blossomed out from there. They kept to that. Well, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of marital sex either, to be honest. Not a whole no, lot of sex at all. everybody's exhausted. Everybody's exhausted. They would talk about that, about how, like, you also did it on purpose. In Sea Org, you can get married, but then it would, it would sort of be, like, it seemed on accident, but it always worked out like this, where then they would be put on opposite schedules. So the husband and the wife would be, one would be working night shifts, mm. and the other would be working morning shifts, and they would never see each other. Yeah. That's a part yeah. of the reason why a lot of them defect, is because they fall in love on Sea Org, because your your emotions got to go somewhere. You're next to people all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you're going you're gonna to have a work wife, and then all of a sudden, sudden you just can't see them and they're doing it on purpose yeah yeah and if you try to have children on sea org if a woman gets pregnant then they would pretty much take the child away and have the kid raised in like a scientology group home Mm. uh or they would make them get abortions even though l ron hubbard was supposedly a thousand percent against abortions if you'll remember from the dianetics episode well that's uh, probably one of their biggest crimes are like the thousands of forced abortions that they did just like it was insane that's not right well you can always you know he seems like a kind of guy who would be staunchly pro-life covered in creams (laughs) uh, covered in creams pampered by 11 year olds (laughs) yeah and speaking of the 11 year olds that group of sea cheerleaders became the most powerful people on the apollo and the only people that hubbard felt like he could trust and one of those messengers once asked hubbard why he chose young girls as his most trusted confidants and he said he got the idea from hitler with young people Uh, uh, you had uh. a blank slate you could write anything you wanted on it and it would be your writing yes and there's no one more trustworthy with a secret than a teenage girl (laughs) they they will not talk to their friends about it in no way will they at some point plot your inevitable doom yeah he had his this is the hitler youth sweet Nothing is more sweet and sympathetic than a 12-year-old girl. Absolutely. No way they're the devil incarnate going through a whole series of changes. And as far as why girls were chosen specifically, Hubbard said it was because he thought women were more loyal than men. I can believe that's true. Yeah, and also, uh, he kind of went through this. There was a guy, during this whole time, there was a guy named John McMaster that was like one of the first official clears of the England group that started going around and doing talks about Scientology and what it's done for him, and he came a little bit of a of a, a celebrity himself. And he was Elrond's like, right-hand man for a while in the UK, but eventually, Laffey got upset that he was getting all this attention right. and basically 
cleared him, took all of his certs. He, like, he pulled his certs, which means you're not clear anymore, and then made him clear out shit at the bottom of the uh, the, the horse stables on board of the Apollo. And then uh, that's when John McMaster in his private journal started calling um, Laffy Fatty. Being like, <laughs> Fatty put me on more shit shoveling duty today. And it's like so funny. But he hated men. By the, by the end, it started he hated yeah. women. By the end, he just like any male around him, he just assumed wanted his spot, which yeah. is completely true. Competition. Mm-hmm. That makes sense yeah. for him, yes, because he's, uh, he's an, an insecure tubby man Very at the end of so. the day. Uh, naturally, Hubbard's intensely close relationship to a gaggle of teenage girls caused some rifts between them and Hubbard's family, particularly yeah. Hubbard's own teenage daughter, Diana. See, Diana. Now, Diana was a hardcore administrator, though. Yeah. Diana was cold and calculated. They called her Princess Diana. They said that she was she was the scary one of his kids. Mm. Yeah, there was a that she was the scary one. Uh, like there were some others that were the shitty ones, and then we'll get to uh, the uh, Quentin here in a second. But Diana had pissed off Hubbard somehow, and so Hubbard gave one of his girls a message to be delivered. But this time he added. Go spit in Diana's face. So the 13-year-old girl hauled off, burst into Diana's office, who was 18 at the time, spat in her face just as commanded, and started screaming at Diana in her father's voice. They're muffing it up. <laughs> I'm muffing it up on your nabby pabby patty Muffing it up. You didn't My. fly your roots. Yeah. Well, that's Assa- a re- ass- ass- Assessing. Assessing and knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there would these fifteen-year-old girls, thirteen to fifteen. Uh, they would do impressions of L. Ron Hubbard, and they would scream at the top of their lungs. They would get yeah. the the tone of his voice and his exact words. They were people. Everyone was terrified of them. So you're on this gigantic boat out to sea for years, and constantly the people that you were most afraid of are a bunch of fifteen-year-old girls in halter tops, and you are a yeah. grown man. And they're covered in Vaseline, like Burt Reynolds in either striptease or showgirls. I can't remember which one. It's striptease. Feels uh, good. Honestly, be- it feels good between his toes. <laughs> it does. It does. But if, if you could dress all those girls as Sailor Moon, there are Japanese businessmen. That would pay to also be on that boat, and and I and I, and many just like weird men in Des Moines. Now the other Hubbard children weren't happy either, especially Quentin, who was a teenager in the early seventies. See, Quentin was described by many of the crew members as "quote unquote" swishy, oh, and as does that mean? and as we know from the last episode, as well as the life of John Travolta. John Uh-oh. <laughs> if there's one thing Al Ron Hubbard doesn't tolerate, Uh-oh. it's swishiness, a.k.a. homosexuality. Well, that's not right. And this would all come to a head with the Apollo stars, which we'll get into later. But despite the unhappiness, the Hubbards lived pretty good in, comp- in comparison to the rest of the crew. Elron and Mary Sue had staterooms in addition to a suite on the promenade deck, off limits to students and crew. They had a personal steward, as did all the Hubbard children, who all had their own cabins. By contrast, the rank and file lived in cramped, roach-infested dorms fitted with three-tiered bunks. So in 1972, things started to go awry for Hubbard. Word reached him that while he was docked in Morocco, that France was seeking to extradite him on charges of fraud. So Hubbard naturally fled as he would do again and again over the years when the heat got turned up. And where else would a cult leader flee from the French government but right here in Queens, New York. Hey, forget about it. 
<laughs> oh, Majou. Now, as he goes down, he gets nice mozzarella and some nice Peugeot. Now, hey, it's a nice uh, antipasto. That's not Little Italy. You're from Queens. Yeah. That's not oh, what... Oh, oh. Hey, oh, you. Oh, I wish I could talk. Oh, God. Oh, oh. It's not... All right. So Hubbard and an assistant got an apartment not too far away from where we're recording right now. For the first few weeks, Hubbard did nothing but watch TV, taking in everything after being gone from the United States for almost a decade. He never watched any television. He had no clue what was happening. So he's getting all of this pop culture for the first time. Like he's literally being like, oh, look at this. This is amazing. And then also would sit at night and make his assistants stay up with him. And he'd start these monologues while sitting in the apartment. And the, the first thing he started doing was saying, like, I wish I could have found that gold. I wish I could have found that gold in my past lives. And you know, now he's starting to believe his lies. He's starting to believe that he did have past lives. He was hiding gold. He was serious about it, which doesn't make any sense. He then also told everyone in the room that he wrote The Prince and that Machiavelli stole it from him. Mm-hmm. And like getting mad, like screaming about it. And they'd say his eyes would roll back in his head. And he was essentially sort of going into trance. Yeah. The, the Prince? Yeah, The Prince by Machiavelli. Yeah. It's a movie yeah. or a TV show? It's, it's a book, man. Uh, is it like The <laughs> Monsters? Is it like The Monsters or is it like. Uh... Why you gotta do this to me, Kissel? <laughs> so L. Ron Hubbard wrote it, huh? Yeah. No. No. Well, I heard L. Ron Hubbard wrote it. He did not. Well, I heard he did. So. Yeah. Well, he spent so much time watching TV because he tended to draw a fair amount of attention when he went outside. His hair was long, orange, and bushy, and he was in the habit of wearing a big hat with the brim upturned, a combo that made him look like Bozo the Clown. And as he was so accustomed to being revered by almost every person in sight, it was quite a surprise to Hubbard when he walked outside, only to be met time and time again by... By the jeers of a group of Queens neighborhood kids. Hey, Tommy, come here. Hey, come here. Come look at this guy. Hey, you look like a homeless clown, you piece of shit. <laughs> hey, give me a dollar. Give me a goddamn dollar. We got, hey, hey, Tommy, look. Oh, hey, look at that there, Billy. I think a guy's wearing our shoes. Hey, yeah, yeah, looks like he's wearing our shoes. I'm not wearing your shoes. These are my shoes. I bought them from the thrift store. Yeah, but it seems like maybe you're wearing our shoes. Take off our shoes. <laughs> take, off our, take off our damn shoes. No, I will not. No, no, you have not flied your roots. <laughs> you haven't been flying your roots. Take off your goddamn shoes. <laughs> Is that a knife? <laughs> Every nine-year-old in Queens. <laughs> Just running. That would have been so much fun as a nine-year-old, having a good old-fashioned adult victim. Oh, my goodness, yes. Now, after spending the better part of a year in Queens eating fish sticks and burgers while waiting out the French, Hubbard returned to his ship and told his faithful crew members that he had merely been inspecting American orgs and not hiding out from a government trying to duck fraud charges. No, hmm. no, no way. Now, this fraud investigation may have been the catalyst for the launching of Operation Snow White. In 1973, Scientologists began infiltrating the governmental bureaucracies in 130 countries around the world, particularly the United States and particularly the IRS. Operation Snow White was an attempt to either copy or steal documents that didn't shine a favorable light on Scientology or L. Ron Hubbard. It was all operated by the Guardian's office, who were in charge of protecting Scientology, and at the head of the operation was Mary Sue Hubbard. At least, officially, it was Mary Sue Hubbard. Mary Sue Hubbard does sound like a talking teacup. 
And she looked like a talking teacup. Huh. The two main agents in the IRS were Gerald Wolf, codenamed Silver, Ooh. And, awesome. and Michael Meisner, who for two years stole governmental documents related to Scientology until their plans were foiled by a cleaning lady in 1975. <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Think about this. They got into our government. They flipped people that work for us by going after their personal – like what we're going to see now is Scientology, what they do, right? They've got PIs to dig up bullshit on these people and flip them. Classic. Now, in 1974, Hubbard was involved in a terrible motorcycle accident in which he broke his arm and several of his ribs. But it turns out that when faced with an actual injury, Hubbard was a bit of an asshole. Huh. Well, they said that was this was a problem, right? Is that the there were people there that were trying to go back through his auditing sessions? Because technically, if you have an accident, that means you're close to a PTS. You you are you are next to some sort of you're a potential trouble source because if you've had a big accident, you've been connected to an SP. That's the only way somebody who's clear has a physical accident. So there was a lot of inner turmoil at the time, being like, well, he needs to be re-audited. And they're like, well, he's L. Ron Hubbard. We can't re-audit L. Ron Hubbard. And they're like, well, technically, according to rules, we're not supposed to let him go. And so there's a weird, of course, dissonance of watching the guy that's supposed to be better than God have a motorcycle accident. I do yeah. like the idea because, you know, he envisioned himself like James Dean on the motorcycle yes. going yeah. through the winds with wind blowing in his hair. But he's just a fat guy who's just like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, and Glasses. so they, they said that for weeks and weeks and weeks, he just sat in a red velvet chair screaming. They said he was like a disagreeable old man. He just became a pain in the ass to mm. everybody. But the messengers, they stepped up. And by the time Hubbard got back on his feet, the girls were in firm control over the Apollo. And Hubbard, oh, yeah. And Hubbard's mood had changed for the worse. This is when he instituted the Rehabilitation Project Force, a.k.a. the RPF. People assigned to the RPF wore black boiler suits, were segregated from the rest of the crew, and slept in an unventilated cargo hold on dirty mattresses, their only food being what was left over from the crew meal. Now, do we have any idea what the corgi is up to at this point? We have no idea what's happening with the corgi. Honestly, it's being groomed. The corgi's (laughs) living a a charmed life. It never went to the RPF. It's completely fine. Also, you're going to look at, this is what they view all people, all SPs, anybody not in Scientology should be treated like. Yeah. They believe that anybody who's an SP should be living like that. They should be sleeping on dirty mattresses in an old fucking burnt out uh, cargo ship. But worst of all, the messengers now had the authority to send whoever they wanted to RPF, sometimes on a total whim. Therefore, the messengers became even more feared on the Apollo than L. Ron Hubbard himself. Wait, th- these eleven-year-old girls, about fifteen at this point. Fifteen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're huh. also in charge. That's also the people that buy stuff. So they're also in charge of our television. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. all commercials and stuff are built towards eleven-year-old girls. But as Hubbard and the messengers were treating their people with more and more contempt, he was at the same time trying to reach out to the people at the port cities where the Apollo would land, and so was born the Apollo Stars. Because he said he was like he had spent that year in Queens, and he decided that watching well. Whole bunch of TV for a couple of weeks and made him an expert in pop music and modern dance. Uh, and he had said, and I love this, he had made important discoveries about the nature of rock music and the need for a strong, heavy beat. 
<laughs> something like that or something like <laughs> that is good yeah. now giving credit where credit is due and that's to the musicians not Hubbard who billed himself as a quote unquote producer the music actually pretty good kind of good like i like it like All here right. take, it's, it's got some bossa nova to it. it i mean yeah it's a jazz fusion take a listen Just manic, uh-huh. manically shoveling shit in the basement <laughs> so hungry Blow that flute. It is good. <laughs> it's very upbeat considering such sad circumstances that so many of these people lived in. Well, that's you have to put on the smile. You yeah. have to put on the gaze. That is Strong, off, heavy beat, man. Yeah, that's off the Apollo uh, Stars album Power of Source, which was reportedly ordered to be played constantly day and night outside the cashier's office in St. Hill, which I can, I can actually see getting all pretty damn fast. I can't uh, listen yeah. to jazz fusion for eight hours a day. No. And they said that uh, there was constantly... Uh, uh, disciplinary reports being written up at St. Hill because people would listen to it all the time and they'd eventually get sick of it, oh, yeah. pick up the record and throw it down the street or break it in half. <laughs> That's understandable. It's like, da, 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 da. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> can't walk like that. Can't be that fast all the time. So at every port of call that would have them, the Apollo stars would unload along with a dance troupe who were dressed about as ridiculously as you could imagine. They wore powder blue French military caps with a gold braided peak and a cloak of the same color lined with scarlet silk. Now this, of course, Quentin Hubbard <laughs> needed to be in on this because he saw this. He was like, finally, my chance. He want, All he literally wanted to do was dance. Yeah. yeah, He wanted to dance and fly planes. It's all he wanted to do. And then so finally he showed up and like Quentin Hubbard, again, he's the boss's kid. So everybody's kind of afraid of him. But he really is just like twisted his hips around they're like we've never seen anybody move like that before it's kind of like the when the librarian takes the glasses off they're all like whoa well everyone Um, described quentin as like a pretty good kid like everyone liked quentin quentin was not he wasn't like a little monster like some of the younger kids were he wasn't a cold authoritarian like diana was he was just like some kid who he wanted to dance. He just had two polar opposite passions of flying and dancing. <laughs> yes. Yep, and he started to rehearse with the Apollo dancers when Elrond put mm. a damn fast stop to all that, saying he had other plans for him. And Quentin was so devastated by this that he staged a half-hearted suicide attempt in which he swallowed a bottle of pills and almost died. When Hubbard got the message about what had happened, he said that as soon as his son was well enough to leave sick bay. He would be assigned to RPK duty. Ooh, and that's not good duty. No. No, Whoa. that's, that's okay. when you get... No, that's not good duty. That's not good. <laughs> you no don't want to do the RPK. That's not fun. No, RPK is the one where you have to dress in the black boiler suit and sleep in an unventilated room. Oh, that's not a good time. That's a bad no. time. Huh. It's a bad time. What's different? It's technically a step up from your apartment. Yeah. But that's just also how you treat your apartment and yourself and the way that you live. No one's forcing you to do that. My no. apartment? <laughs> that's a very nice apartment. I got I got WWE Network. It's true. Mm. Now, one group of people who took particular exception to the jazz fusion stylings of the Apollo stars were the Portuguese. When the Apollo arrived at a Portuguese port, a rumor quickly spread that the ship was full of CIA operatives. Mm. And so, because it's just... 
It's a big dirty barge yeah. hanging outside with just sequin dancers <laughs> dancing on the hull of it yeah. with this bossa nova music coming out of it. And they're all like, this seems suspicious. I don't know what it is. It seems like they're hiding in plain sight. Yeah, so a group of huh. Portuguese went down to where the ship was docked and started chanting, CIA, CIA. And then so the Apollo responded by confusingly chanting it back, like CIA, CIA. <laughs> they love CIA. us. They like us. They really like yeah. us. So the Portuguese followed that by throwing first rocks at the ship huh. and then bottles. So the Scientologists started picking up the rocks that landed on the deck and throwing them back at the crowd, particularly at the guy who was standing on the quay side waggling his dick at the ship. <laughs> and after one crew member scene. got her jaw broken by a big rock, Ooh. the Scientologists brought out the hoses, at which point the Portuguese authorities broke up the whole fiasco and the Scientologists set sail once more. So that was an interesting time at port, huh? <laughs> that was a real it was a real weird day. Cool. But uh, it, you couldn't even dance your way into Portugal. No. Oh. But in 1975, Hubbard suffered a minor stroke and his seafaring days were over. The Sea Org bullshit. This had gone on for almost 10 years. Wow. Yes. It was finally time for Hubbard to return to America, set up shop in Clearwater, Florida. Ooh. Oh, my other hometown. Yeah. That's it. After a stroke, you go right to Clearwater. <laughs> Everyone knows that. That's how it, it's been. That He started that trend. So L. Ron Hubbard arrived in Clearwater, Florida in October 1975 wearing a green jumpsuit and purchased the 11-story Fort Harrison Hotel for $2.3 million, as well as the old Bank of Clearwater building for more than half a million, all in cash, to establish the headquarters of Scientology in America. Remember, he's a, also a known wanted criminal. The yeah. FBI is researching him. All of this technically has to be well, done in secret or way, way, way on the down low. Yeah, he's not a wanted criminal. He's more like wanted for questioning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no real charges. Curious about him. Yeah. They're yeah. real curious. There's no charges against him at sure. this point or anything like that. But they definitely want to have a word or two with him. So Hubbard then moved in along with his wife five five miles down the road under great secrecy, as it wasn't in Hubbard's best interest to let any, no, anyone know he was back in America. Mm. But the secret soon got out. While Hubbard was being fit for a new suit, the tailor mentioned he was a sci-fi fan. So Hubbard, he couldn't help but let it slip that he was, in fact, the L. Ron Hubbard, mm. who the tailor ended up being a huge fan of. Did you did you write that book? Uh, what was it? Uh, Tommy T Tommy Tames the Town or something? <laughs> Johnny the Town Tamer? Yeah, <laughs> sir. Did you yeah. write Johnny the Town Tamer? Yes, I did, and I and I won't tell you. I was gonna write a I was gonna write a, a sequel to it. The town that tamed Johnny. <laughs> and it was going to be about a group of men that run a town that make love to Johnny. Wow. Until he's tame enough to be the town's boyfriend. All right. Well, sir, your final measurements are you're about a 48 waist and a 26 yeah. leg. Strange. Right? Yeah. Strange. Very odd. Anyway. That is, don't even make that up because that is technically my dimensions. <laughs> I, have a, I have a 36 waist. I have a 27 inch inseam. I am, I'm built. Like a Humpty Dumpty. Well, that's okay. So the tailor, after finding out that he had just fit the L. Ron Hubbard for a suit, he went home and told his wife about it, who told all her friends that a famous author had moved up the street, and before Hubbard knew it, a reporter had come knocking at his front door. So Hubbard, 
freaked out, mm-hmm. fled once more, landing in Washington, D.C. Thing was, D.C. probably wasn't the best place for the Hubbards to be as Operation Snow White was in full effect. By the beginning of 1975, the Guardian's office had people in the IRS, the DEA, and the Coast Guard. Wolf, again, codenamed Silver, and Meisner were working as Clerk Typhus and had at that point stolen more than 30,000 pages of documents related to the church and the Hubbards. Now, do we know why Meisner never got a nickname? I don't know. Because this guy is Silver Wolf. It's like pretty awesome. You know he wanted one, too. But that's how you make one. That's how you divide a group of people. You give one a cool nickname. You don't give a nickname to the other one. And then he's always wondering why it wasn't I had given a nickname. (laughs) And also, what do I got to do to earn a nickname? You're just a Meisner. Yeah. So one night when Wolf and Meisner were supposed to infiltrate an office, a quick in-and-out job, they arrived to find that a cleaning crew was still finishing up inside. While they were waiting, someone noticed these two suspicious guys just hanging around outside of this office. They shouldn't have been around. The FBI was called, so the two went on the run. They were finally on to them. Now, the Hubbards then moved to Palm Springs, where a predictable tragedy struck. Mary Sue got a call that Quentin had been found dead in Las Vegas alongside the perimeter fence of McCarran Airport. Quentin had run a vacuum cleaner tube from the exhaust tailpipe of his van into his passenger side window and left the engine running. And cops reported that it appeared as if Quentin had been living out of his van for some time. And a friend of his said that Quentin had wanted to get out of Scientology for years, but knew that as soon as he did, he would become an enemy of the church, just as Nibs had. And just like any cult member who grew up in the church, he just didn't know how to survive outside of it. And it wasn't like Hubbard didn't know his son was in trouble. He did. After Quentin's death, a messenger found a stack of unanswered letters from Quentin in which the kid was worried that the Marcabs, remember the 1950s civilization with the space travel? Mm. He was worried that the Marcabs were about to come down from space to check on his quote-unquote development, and it probably wasn't a coincidence then that Quentin was said to have had a homosexual experience shortly before his suicide. So instead of worrying that he was going to go to hell, Quentin instead was worried that an alien wearing a fedora was about to come fry him with radioactive material. Ooh, what's I'm worse? scared of yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah, I'm scared of that as well. That's That's scary. Yeah. And the final indignation came when the, when they scattered Quentin's ashes. A pilot was ordered to fly out over the Pacific to scatter them. But when he tried, the ashes blew back into the plane. And the pilot said he was still picking little bits of Quentin out of his upholstery for months. Like what happened so, in the Big Lebowski? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. He just wanted to fly. Yeah. It's just such a perfect example of like a sad life lived sadly. Yeah, like he just like the end. You literally just ended up as a mistake. Yeah. A bunch of people fu- like fucking up, dropping your ashes. And how old was Quentin? He was, I think, nineteen. Oh, he was a child still. Yeah, very young yeah. when this. Oh, happened. yeah, he was like nineteen or twenty. Oh, yeah, he my. was just some poor get some poor kid who happened to be gay, stuck on a boat with his psychopath, homophobic father. Oh, and he had finally gotten off. Like he finally got off, but. All of this shit had been so ingrained in him over the years. You know, it's a lot like uh, Ricky Rodriguez with yeah. the Children yes. of God, uh, except Quentin just couldn't. Ha- he just did it himself. All of the kids uh, could barely read. Yeah. Diana could barely read. They said she wrote like a child, even though she was like 18 years old. They did not get a formal education. They were taught 
just Scientology principles since the time they were born, and they never learned anything else. They So it's like they were completely ill-equipped to be normal human beings. So naturally, the mood changed around Palm Springs following Quentin's death. Suddenly, Mary Sue's corgi dogs were declared clear. Oh, but they had to be cleared. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the dogs. Is that that they, they declared they're clear, that means that anybody who had barked at, they barked at, had committed a crime against the Hubbards. Yeah, and some people yeah. would come into the Hubbard house and the corgis would bark at him and they'd freak out because they're like what did I do I didn't do anything I didn't do anything wrong Whoa. they truly the the members <laughs> believed that the corgis were clear L. Ron Hubbard yeah. said our corgis are clear so all their followers were like yeah the corgis are clear yeah, and if that corgi does bark at you, what'd you do? <laughs> what'd you do? So that means there's a little thetan inside the corgi? Yeah, thetans are in everything. Huh. I can't wait to have dogs. I know. <laughs> I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be like, whenever the dog barks at anyone, being like, you are a criminal, aren't you? <laughs> My dog can see your soul. Absolutely. <laughs> and things were getting tense with Hubbard's daughter as well. She had begun dating guys outside of Scientology, a.k.a. Wogs, as they called them, mm-hmm. and would describe in detail her dates and sex life during auditing, knowing her father would read her folder. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah. That, I don't know if that's awesome. <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> then no. on. Then, on July 8, 1977, the FBI raided the Church of Scientology and carried off 48,149 documents. Meisner, after eight months on the run, had blown the org and confessed to the FBI, detailing Operation Snow White, which mm. turned out to be one of the largest infiltrations of the U.S. government ever, with up to 5,000 covert agents working on the project. We're out there it's chasing communists. Insane. We should have been chasing Scientologists. Yeah. They didn't know. I mean, and they said that it was ridiculously easy to do. All the people that testified afterwards, they were like, yeah, your security is shit. You know mm-hmm. how easy it was? They even they put bugs into people's offices. Uh, they were able to steal documents and just make copies of them. They knew everything that the government knew about them. Hmm. And who went down for it but Mary Sue? Oh. Because the documents the FBI seized from the office named her as the head of it in order to take heat off of L. Ron Hubbard because L. Ron Hubbard's name was never mentioned in any of the official documents, but it was extremely obvious that he yeah. was the head of the entire operation. It's always yeah. the stooges that fall. Yeah. Always the stooges. Yeah, because they, no, they had no evidence on him. All the evidence pointed towards Mary Sooth, so they had no choice but to go for her. Because she signed all the documents, mm-hmm. right? Because she was right. signed them for him. And so they now had to split up. They've been together for 25 years. They split up. L. Ron Hubbard goes on the road. Mary Sue was sitting in a hotel room. They're saying, well, we need to keep some distance between you guys to make sure that no heat comes back on L. Ron. And she's like, he's going to come and he is going to get me out of this. He's going to fix all this. He's going to explain to them what we're doing is for the good of, the, of humankind and shit. And he just left her hanging. He left her hanging, Shocking. and he moved to a grapefruit farm and started making movies. Oh, that's oh. good. <laughs> Him and his messengers. He spent day and night writing scripts for films he thought he could use for recruiting. He hmm. took to wearing a cowboy hat, suspenders, and a bandana to make him look more like a movie director. I thought you were going to say a corgi. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I, I dress like my dog. Or do the dogs dress like me? Who knows? And the movies with names like Revolt in the Stars and The Unfathomable Man 
man were reportedly terribly written, terribly acted, and terribly shot, and they were also disgustingly gory. Well, they were filming one scene of a bombing of an FBI office. Wink, wink. A little bit of wishful thinking there. Uh Hubbard covered his actors in so much Cairo syrup and food coloring that they had to cut their clothes off at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Henry, that's that's what uh, that was the murder the murder fist recipe, right? The Cairo syrup and food coloring. Yep, and then you put a little bit of laundry detergent in it so you can get out of your clothes, and it never does. <laughs> um, and you reek of corn syrup for the rest of the night. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Also, at, what an act of uh, chaos magic it is to make a movie about the FBI, off- FBI office blowing up, dressing it apart, doing a whole thing. Again, it's going back to weird black magic ritual where he is trying to make it happen. Yeah, he's trying to make sure. the reality. Now, while this little side trick, it, it, this may seem meaningless, like just a little bit of trivia— but this is where one of Scientology's most infamous members would ingratiate himself into Hubbard's good graces, for it is on the grapefruit farm that messenger David Miscavige Ooh. would get his start. Now, this is to- uh, me- uh, this is a lesson in right place, right time, because he had other advisors and shit, but uh, people that have been him for with him for years, for decades, that were his close people, but David Miscavige just went, that very end. Yeah, He's he a was scary one. Yeah, at the very end, because uh, Miscavige's parents were Scientologists. They enjoy they had joined in like 1970 or something like that. And Miscavige, when he was a teenager, just pop, he was right there. Mm-hmm. He wormed his way into the messengers, and he was right next to L. Ron Hubbard the whole time at the end of L. Ron Hubbard's life. And all this time, Hubbard could could not give less of a fuck about Mary Sue. When Mm. letters arrived with bad news saying, for example, that she was facing a maximum penalty of 17 years, the messengers would cut out the offending passages with razor blades to keep Hubbard, quote, on his lines. And on October 26th, Mary Sue and nine others pleaded guilty on one count each of the indictment in a plea deal. Mary Sue received a sentence of five years one of which she actually served. Soon after, an appellate court ordered the seal to be lifted on all the documents the FBI had gathered at Scientology headquarters for the case. The papers had a field day, and Hubbard, exposed once more, fled for a final time. He disappeared with two messengers named Pat and Annie Broker and was never seen again. This is so classic. He abandoned his family. Now he abandons Mary Sue. I mean, this guy is a true sociopath with zero concern for others. His wife never saw him again. His children never saw him again. He never appeared in public again. Over the next six years, the messengers, led by Miscavige, would institute a purge of high-level Scientology staff, all supposedly working under the orders of Elron, whose lo- location only the messengers knew. Hmm. And so these people... People outside, they had no choice. The messengers were saying, like, yeah, Elrond's still alive. Yeah, this is what he said to do. He said to put me in charge. And they're playing these huge chess games the entire yes. time. Because they're sitting on a million. It's Again, it's all about money right. and power. Yeah. They're looking at these. They have millions of dollars in the bank. They have slaves everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's whoever gets the keys of the kingdom gets to actually, like, gets to be God. Mm-hmm. And Miscavige is like American psycho. Yeah. You know, just a raging lunatic. Yeah, a little 5-1 guy yeah. that has no conscience whatsoever. Right. Just like me, my little grippers. <laughs> yeah. That is true. <laughs> now, the last words anyone heard from L. Ron Hubbard was on January 19th, 1986. That was my third birthday. Huh. Oh. Yeah. oh, humble brag. <laughs> humble brag. 
On that day, Hubbard announced in flag order number 3879 that he was promoting himself to the rank of admiral. He was promoting the brokers who helped him escape the last time to loyal officers. Five days later, L. Ron Hubbard supposedly had a brain hemorrhage and died. Continuing the line of bullshit, even after death, Miscavige gathered 1,800 Scientologists to the Hollywood Palladium and told them that Hubbard had finished his earthly research two weeks earlier, but in order to continue reaching new levels of OT, Mm. he had needed to discard his body to move to the next step. A few months later, Miscavige declared that flag order number 3879 was a fraud written by the brokers, who he said had never really had any interaction with Elron. Miscavige placed the brokers under standard justice handling, and with them out of the way, Miscavige took complete and total control of the Church of Scientology, an organization he still runs to this day. He's like the little prince from Shrek. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What I will say is the only solace I have in any of the story is that Laffy never got to enjoy being God. No. No matter what happened, he was always running, looking over his shoulder. It's very similar to H.H. Holmes. Mm -hmm. So he got a little bit of a thrill over like of lying and getting himself in trouble and getting out of trouble like that yeah. that was giving him something but he uh he never got to like it he yeah. never got to it, he was right. always on city ground well he got his followers that's the thing is that like his he always had a really good time with his followers but he was also constantly being hounded by people who saw through his bullshit i could say we can draw a little bit of parallels to that Absolutely. To what's happening yep. right now. I would I mean, not it, it is. You can draw so many parallels between L. Ron Hubbard and Trump, it's fucking ridiculous. It's oh, crazy. Sure. It, it's it, hard to not bring it up all the time. <laughs> I know. It's, it's hard to yeah. not constantly bring it up. But yeah, his followers, like he's having a great time with them. They are they are into it hook, line, and sinker. But everybody else is like, what the fuck are these people thinking? Right. What is wrong with these people? Oh, he had to be stressed out the entire time. I wouldn't wish Constantly. that life on. Uh, I could I certainly would never want to do that. Imagine if L. Ron Hubbard had Twitter. Oh I, uh, my goodness! Honestly, I think I could handle it. <laughs> if L. Ron Hubbard I had would Twitter, be, honestly, no, you, I think I'd be an excellent dictator. Running from no, no, oh, he was never a dictator. Dictators don't have to run from the law; they make the law. They are the law. He yeah, was never powerful. Everyone you would be a wonderful dictator, the law, and then you get to make your own law. You have to. I don't think you know how countries work. <laughs> I think you would be a horrible dictator because you'd be so mean to everybody. No, I listen. I'm empathetic. I understand you have to. You're keep not empathetic. Happy. Yeah, you keep the peasants happy, and you keep your closest officers afraid of death. But that's the idea: is you have the peasants on your side, just in case they try to overflow you. Your inner group tries to overthrow you. They rise up to protect you. That's what Kim Jong Un does in North Korea, and they're about to blow up the whole world. Power resides where people believe it resides. Oh my God! See? Whatever is that? Like some Hans Christian Andersen poem? Actually, it's a from Game of Thrones. But whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Wow. That's it. Yeah, we're fucking Holy done. Holy hell. L. Ron Hubbard uh, in Scientology was never heard of again. Ooh. Wait, that's not true. That's not what happened. Yeah, I mean, that's Thank the story. God, that's, of, that's the story. I mean, and that's the funny thing about it is that that's just the story of L. Ron Hubbard. Right. When David Miscavige takes over, the entire church changes. And in fact, oh, David, and in fact, David Miscavige's father has come out and said, boy, that kid really fucked up. He yeah. said his father has come out and said that like my son has perverted Scientology. He has perverted the workings and the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, he perverted this oh. homo. He perverted this homophobic, disgusting, racist cult. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
<laughs> just a, terrible. Just to remember that David Miscavige is actually not the is actually not the bad one. He got taught to do it, and he's just oh, doing it. Oh, I think he's like the bad one. Taught, he's the bad teacher one. Teacher taught him how to do it. They taught him what what he needed to do in order to win. And you know what winners do? Winners win. And well, so he just. I don't know. I mean, no, Miscavige took it way further. Miscavige, he was the one that introduced the hole. He's the one that introduced all of these. Like, and he's he's the one. I mean, yeah, he did learn a lot from Hubbard, but he took it. He kicked it up to the next level. Like, yes. he's the one who turned Scientology into like the truly dangerous organization that it really was during the '90s, before the internet came about and people started right. saying, looking at like, oh fuck, this Scientology thing is really dumb and really dangerous. And much like L. Ron Hubbard. Miscavige always looks wet, which is just <laughs> yes. true. He always looks wet. He I does. have no idea. Gotta look wet because then it shows slippery, hard to grip. That's right. Um, Defense technique. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And uh, let's see here. Do we want to talk about the Patreon? Yeah. Or? If you uh, if you guys uh, feel like we uh, deserve a little bit of cash for what we do, go to patreon.com slash last podcast on the left and uh, and donate to our uh, cause here. Yep. Uh, if you uh, donate just a dollar, you get advanced ticket sales. We've got some more shows uh, that we're going to announce here very soon. We also want to uh, officially announce that we are going to be at the Indianapolis Crime Con. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, which is why we were at that's why we're coming to Indianapolis for a live show in the first place uh, we are going to be appearing at the Indianapolis Crime Con that's happening uh, June 9th to the 11th they have so many awesome people there uh, they're going to have F. Lee Bailey my favorite Harold Schechter is going to be there. Harold Schechter awesome. is going to be there. Yeah, they've got John Ronson. Uh, they've got one of the guy, one of the prosecutors for making a murderer is going to cool. be there. Uh, and oh wait, the prosecutor. The prosecutor. Yeah. Ooh, I've got some yeah. words with you, my friend. Oh, and he's got some words for you. And we'll say it. Oh, don't you know? I don't think you acted very <laughs> polite. Look oh. at that uh, that boy with the mental problems. Um, you know. Yeah. So excited for that. So yeah, excited for go 420. To, yeah. If you want to go, if you want to go to CrimeCon, go to CrimeCon.com. You can get your tickets there. Excited for that. Excited for 420 in Denver. Yes. Legalize it. Well, legal. I can't wait it's to check it out. It's been legalized. 419 in Denver. 420 in Colorado Springs. Home of Denver. Denver. Focus on the family, by the way. So we will be talking about James Dobson, that raging lunatic who is worse and more homophobic than L. Ron uh, Hubbard. Oh, absolutely. And if you want to read more about this, read uh, uh, there is uh, Bareface Messiah by John Sweeney. It's fantastic. A Piece of Blue Sky is another really good expose on L. Ron Hubbard. There's another good website called TonyOrtega.org yeah. called Up the Bridge that basically describes the step-by-steps of actually what people do in Scientology. It is a really great resource to really understand what it is that these fucking maniacs do. Uh, and again, remember, groupthink is horseshit. Uh, if anybody's telling you what to think or isolating you from your family, you're, you're they, they are wrong. They're doing it. You're, 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 you are in a, a cult. You're yeah. in a cult. If anybody uh, says that they have all the answers and they are the one that is going to save you, they are going to destroy you. Yes. They do not care about you. They only care about themselves. Cult L. Ron Hubbard is a piece of shit. And you can't, if, if it starts at piece of shit. It can't go another good. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, if not. They, if they are a bad person, you cannot divorce nope. their actual character from 
what they are telling you. If they are telling That's you it. they have answers, then you cannot divorce their character from that. Be your own cult leader for yourself. Absolutely. Be your own god. Be your own god. That's all yeah. we can do in this world. Um, I'm going to say uh, thank you guys so much for supporting all the shows here on CCR. Able against Top Hat, Roundtable of Gentlemen, Page 7, uh, Movie Signs with the Mads, Wizard and the Bruiser, everything else here on CCR. Just check it out, please. Uh, you'll love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's very exciting. Thank you so much for... Uh, uh, we got a bunch of t-shirts as well, so go to the merch page and, and Game Company Radio Merch.com. Um, and um, we're and- to a job interview. There's no way you're not going to get hired. <laughs> no way. All right. Please also watch Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. It comes back out April 2nd on Adult Swim at 1130. Uh, uh, this Sunday it starts. It's going to be fucking. I'm really excited about this next batch of episodes. Watch our live stream yep. on adultswim.com every Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Henry Loves You. At Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel, and then uh, at uh, on Instagram at Marcus Parks, at Doctor Fantasy, that's me, uh, at Ben Kissel one, that's Ooh. Ben Kissel, uh, and then follow us. Uh, last spot against the left uh, at all, LP on the left on all the bullshit. Yeah, and follow me on Spotify. There it is. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Hail me. And go re- go re- bareface Messiah. Seriously, Ooh. it's amazing. Yeah, do that. Do it because we only covered a small, small sliver of this story. Goodbye. Goodbye. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats to keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life.